Hello everyone, welcome back to Psyche. For those of you tuning in for the first time, my name is Dr. Margaret Wallaber, and I'm a current PGY2 resident in psychiatry at Emory University. I created this podcast for medical students to help you succeed on the wards and the shelf exam. I hope that you find the following episode helpful. If there is a topic that you'd like me to cover, please don't hesitate to reach out to me. Today, I wanted to talk about a very interesting syndrome called catatonia. This will be lower yield on your shelf exam, but should be high yield for the wards, especially if you're on inpatient or consult liaison psychiatry. You will definitely impress residents and attendings if you know something about catatonia because it's very difficult to describe and the assessment tool can be tedious. I do hope that you have the good fortune of being able to witness catatonia during your rotation because it's absolutely fascinating to see in person and it's one of the few illnesses that we can treat in psychiatry and see almost immediate results. As usual, let's start with the case. We have Emily, who is a 25-year-old female with a past psychiatric history of major depressive disorder, who was brought to the emergency department by her mom for bizarre behavior and extreme withdrawal. Mom states that Emily has stopped eating, stares at the wall, and does not respond to her when engaged in conversation. These symptoms have become progressively worse to the point where Emily now seems unable to move. Mom states that Emily has a history of depression and is supposed to be taking an antidepressant, but self-discontinued the medicine some time ago because she thought she was improving and no longer needed it. You perform a Bush-Francis catatonia rating scale assessment as you suspect Emily may be presenting with catatonia. What is catatonia? This is a very difficult syndrome to describe to both patients and families. When patients come out of a catatonic spell, they often describe having felt stuck or sometimes as though they were in a dream. I actually find it really useful to just describe to families exactly what you and they are observing. So your son or daughter is not talking like they normally do. They're not eating, they're not moving, they're not really participating in daily activities. And then to try to provide an explanation of why their son or daughter became catatonic. We usually can't establish causation, but for example, if we are able to rule out any medical causes or medications that could have caused the catatonia, then we can suspect that a primary psychiatric disorder may have caused it. Catatonia is defined as a clinical syndrome characterized by behavioral abnormalities that may include motoric immobility or excitement, profound negativism, echolalia, which is mimicry of speech, or echopraxia, which is mimicry of movement. This is by no means an all-inclusive list. You can find a more comprehensive list of symptoms by using the Bush Francis Catatonia rating scale. And I would actually recommend Googling this and then pulling up MD Calc's version of the scale and utilizing this as you're examining your patients. If you are assigned a catatonic patient to follow on your rotation, you will need to be updating this scale in every progress note. And the benefit of using MD Calc is that you can actually copy and paste the score and continue to um, follow the patient's progress and or response to treatment. The DSM-5 states that three or more of the following must be present for a diagnosis of catatonia. Stupor, which is no psychomotor activity. Excitement, so patients who have excited catatonia are in constant motor unrest, which appears non-purposeful. Mutism. 
posturing or catalepsy, which is spontaneous maintenance of postures, including mundane, such as sitting or standing for long periods of time without reacting. Grimacing, such as moving your eyes or mouth repeatedly. Echopraxia or echolalia. Stereotypy, which is repetitive, abnormally frequent, non-goal-directed movements, such as repeatedly tapping your fingers or patting your leg or rubbing your head, for example. Mannerisms, which are odd, purposeful movements, such as walking tippy-toe or saluting passers-by. These are basically exaggerated caricatures of normal actions, and they're bizarre even if they're done once or twice. Negativism, which is opposition or no response to the examiner's instructions. Waxy flexibility, which is during reposturing of a patient, a patient offers initial resistance before allowing themselves to be repositioned, similar to that of a bending candle, hence the term waxy. And then there's additional criteria that is not included in the DSM-5, but we'll see on the Bush-Francis catatonia rating scale. This includes staring, which we saw with our patient Emily, verbigeration, and patients, when they verbigerate, will sound like a scratch record, rigidity, withdrawal, impulsivity, so patients will suddenly engage in inappropriate behavior, such as suddenly taking off their clothes or shouting randomly, automatic obedience, which is exaggerated cooperation with the examiner's request, Mitgehen, which occurs when we apply light pressure with our finger to the underside of a patient's hand or forearm. And when you tell the patient to resist your movement, they will do the opposite and raise their arm with the pressure of your finger. Gegenhalten, which is resistance to passive movement, which is proportional to the strength of the stimulus. And this appears automatic rather than willful. Ambitendency, which is where patients appear motorically stuck in an indecisive, hesitant movement. Grass re reflex. Perseveration. Combativeness, which is undirected. And then last, patients can exhibit autonomic abnormalities, such as tachycardia, hypertension, or even fever. So I want to go over how we would examine a patient with catatonia. This will be very useful if you are assigned a catatonic patient or just for being able to follow what your resident or attending are doing and what they're looking for during the exam. So as with any other physical exam, the first thing that we're going to do is observe the patient. By doing this, we can get a sense of whether they're stuporous or they're excited. We can sense any presence of a, a stereotypy, such as, you know, I'll sometimes see patients repeatedly tapping their fingers together. We can see if they're posturing, if they're just immobile and staring, or if they're grimacing. And then you want to introduce yourself to the patient and try to engage them in conversation. And this is where we can see if patients are echolalic, if they're just repeating everything that you're saying, if they're um, exhibiting verbigeration or just mutism. And then I will typically make an exaggerated gesture, such as patting my head. Um, most people would respond by saying, what the heck are you doing? But catatonic patients might actually just exhibit echopraxia and mimic exactly what you're doing. And then you want to examine for cogwheeling in the arms with um, alternate force. So you want to see if they're if they're exhibiting waxy flexibility, so that initial resistance followed by more cooperation. Um, they could be exhibiting um, more pronounced rigidity, 
you could get a sense of whether they're exhibiting negativism or Gegenhalten. And then I also like to test for catalepsy by just placing the patient in various bizarre postures. And a normal response is after you withdraw your movements, that patient, a patient is going to rest their arms beside, you know, on, on the bed or back to a, um, a, a normal position. But patients who are catatonic will maintain these bizarre postures. And then I typically ask the patient to extend their arms, and this is where I will test for mitgehen by sequentially pressing up on the bottom of the patient's hand and then instructing them to not lift their hand or to resist my movement, and they'll do the opposite, and they'll lift their hand with the pressure of my finger. And then I will reach out my hand as though I'm going to shake their hand, and I will instruct, do not shake my hand. And I see this very often with catatonic patients where they will bring up their hand to mirror yours, but they will stay stuck. This is how we test for ambitendency. So they will not actually shake their hand. They will just kind of look at you like, what's next? <laughs> um, and then I will reach into my pocket and I will say, stick out your tongue. I'm going to put a pin in it. A normal response would be, what the heck? You are not putting a pin in my tongue. But patients who are catatonic will exhibit automatic obedience and they'll stick out their tongue and wait for you to put a pin in it. Last, I will check for grasp reflex. So you can just put two fingers in a patient's hand and if they grasp your fingers, that means the reflex is present. Okay, so what causes catatonia? Um, there's typically, catatonia is caused by a medical condition and, and that can include neurological disorders such as head trauma, CNS lupus, or seizure disorders. Infections can cause catatonia or metabolic disturbances such as hepatic encephalopathy or an electrolyte abnormality. There are certain medications that can cause catatonia such as corticosteroids, immunosuppressants, and in extreme cases, antipsychotics. And this is where we'd want to rule out a neuroleptic-induced Parkinsonism or neuroleptic malignant syndrome, which is a medical emergency. And then if we're ruling out medical causes or, or medications that could cause catatonia, we want to see if maybe a patient has a untreated primary psychiatric disorder, such as a mood disorder, which, is, um, which causes catatonia in about 25 to 50% of cases that are due to psychiatric disorders, or 10% um, can be caused by schizophrenia. So not as many by schizophrenia, it's typically a mood disorder. We don't know a lot about the pathophysiology of catatonia, but there are a number of theories. One includes that um, there is reduced GABA-A receptor activity, which would explain why benzodiazepines are so effective in treating catatonia, because they increase GABA activity. Some people have said that catatonia is an outward manifestation of extreme anxiety, and this is because patients will come out of a catatonic spell and they will describe feeling very anxious. So it's as though they're their um, fight or flight response is going into overdrive and they suddenly freeze, not knowing what to, do, what to do or how to respond. There is a theory that catatonia is similar to a movement disorder, such as Parkinson's disease, which is understood to be caused by dysfunction of the basal ganglia. And since most projection neurons in the basal ganglia are GABAergic, it is plausible that benzodiazepines can influence GABA signaling in this area specifically. And then last... 
it has been theorized that there is dysfunction of dopamine metabolism. And this explains why antipsychotics can actually worsen catatonia. So I've had patients who have psychotic disorders who present catatonic, and I will discontinue the antipsychotic and I will start a benzodiazepine focusing on treating the catatonia because that is the most life-threatening illness that I am dealing with at the moment. Once they start to improve, and I mean this is pretty far down the line, when I feel comfortable restarting an antipsychotic, I will, but I start low and I titrate up because I do not want them to fall back into catatonia. We want to do a workup, so we want to get labs, we want to get a CBC, a CMP, um, sometimes we'll get brain imaging, people will go as far as getting LPs, especially if we're suspecting CNS lupus or something more autoimmune, um, we can get an EEG, we definitely want to check CPK, the white blood cell count, and transaminases because these lab tests are elevated in patients with neuroleptic malignant syndrome, and we want to be ruling that out and making sure that we're addressing it if we think that might be a possibility. And then last, how do, how do we treat catatonia? So I've said it a number of times, benzodiazepines or Ativan. I'll start with an Ativan challenge. So I will give a patient two milligrams of IM, or if they have a line, an IV Ativan. And then I'll come back in 15 to 30 minutes, and I will see if they've responded. And this is where it gets really cool. Patients can come out of a catatonic spell. They will not be speaking or moving one minute, and then the, the next, they're super interactive. They're asking for food. It can be really profound. I do not fix them just by treating them with one dose of Ativan. I need to put them on a strict Ativan regimen because it's very unpredictable to, uh, a, catatonia is an unpredictable illness. We, we don't really know how it's going to, to progress. It always depends on the individual, but I usually will place patients on Ativan three times a day. So if I if the Ativan two milligram challenge worked for the patient, I will place them on two milligrams three times a day. I will do that PO if they can tolerate any or if they're eating or tolerating anything oral. But if they're not, I will put them on forced IM Ativan because it's really important for me to treat this because it can become life threatening. If I've given them a fair chance to respond to Ativan and they're still not responding, ECT is incredibly effective. I have seen patients not respond to Ativan, have an NG tube in because they're not eating, just not in good shape and they go off to ECT, they come back from their first session and that NG tube is out and they're eating breakfast. That doesn't mean I have cured their catatonia. It means that I know that ECT, they're responsive to ECT and I want them to continue with that treatment. Typically, a full course is 6 to 12 treatments, and sometimes patients require maintenance treatment after that. I hope that this episode was helpful for you in becoming more familiar with catatonia so that you can impress your residents and attendings. As always, if you've noticed any corrections that need to be made, do not hesitate to reach out to me. And also, if you'd like to request a specific topic to be covered, I am open to all suggestions. Thank you so much and have a wonderful day.